Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G. We are sitting here with Naraj from the Stride Shop. We're going to talk running, we're going to talk marketing, techniques, stretches, all types of things that every runner should know at least a little bit of something about. I probably know not that much for being as much of a runner as I am, but I'm here today and to learn about that and also what they do in the Stride Shop, which has recently opened a location here in Baton Rouge this summer. So we're going to talk about making the transition from one shop to two shops and more. But before we get to that, I want to give a big, wonderful shout out to the amazing sponsors that make this show possible each and every week. We've got Government Taco, Falaya Real Estate, Blake Men's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and our newest sponsor that's also sponsoring the outfit of Patty G, McClavey's Limited. They are an incredible past guest of the show, and we're working with them with some very cool things. You definitely want to stay tuned, and if you're only a listener of the show and not a watcher of the show, go check out our social media and check out some of the outfits we have coming your way. I'm really excited about it, and I know they are as well. And without further ado, Raj, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's really fun to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on and for coming back to your roots in Baton Rouge, you know, <laughs> with the Stride Shop. I'm excited to hear that journey and how you got there. Yeah, uh, it's fun. We've been, so we've only been in Baton Rouge for uh, four or five months now, and um, it's been a uh, journey probably the right word. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Baton Rouge. Uh, have been away for about 20 years through going to grad school and living in the Midwest for a while where I met my wife and had my first kid. And then um, we decided to get closer to home, but uh, not quite all the way home. So we were in New Orleans, which is where um, the stride shop actually started. Um, and uh, and just this summer, we decided it was time to, to come back and um, uh, the perfect time to, to bring the stride shop with us. So gone from Baton Rouge for 20 years. What were you doing during that time? So after I graduated from LSU, I went to graduate school in St. Louis at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, and then after gradu graduating there, moved to Chicago. Um, I was thinking that if I found a job, great, I'd stay there. And I had a couple of buddies who lived there and I basically kind of lived under the stairs in their, in their <laughs> apartment for a while and got a job. And it ended up being 11 years that I would live there um, and met my wife and had our first kid there. And, um, and, uh, as we were planning on having a second, uh, things started to come into focus a little bit. We were either going to be in a 800 square foot apartment in, in the city of Chicago or move to the suburbs. And we figured why not move closer to family at that point. So 800 square foot. I mean, apartment? you know, it was one of those <clears throat> things where it was just, um, oh, gosh. it was, it, Chicago is not nearly as, spent, as expensive as probably, you know, New York City or L.A. or San Francisco, but um, uh, it I'm wasn't the best I'm just thinking 800 square feet from like a kid standpoint, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the amount of mess that there is yeah. fitting within that space is, yeah. and then adding a second one onto that. Yeah, you you know that well now, right? It's tight quarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no room for anything of your own except for, uh, except for the kids' toys. So, yeah, so we made the move back to New Orleans and... Um, and so New Orleans, I kind of job hopped. I had a couple of jobs and just never found anything that um, that was fulfilling that really kind of suited what I wanted to do. But I had met uh, my now partner, RT, in New Orleans, and he was working at a place that I was. And probably for a year, we'd talked about, man, we're going to do this. We're going to do, we need to do something. Uh, but it was like kind of idle talk. And 
uh, eventually it just got to the point where we, we sat down and uh, there were some beers and some wine involved and we decided that uh, it was time. Uh, and I don't know if it was the smartest idea at the time, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if there ever is a good time. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's never there's never a perfect time, right? The stars never align. It's how, what you make of where the stars are yeah. within your life and your history. I mean, having your second kid may not have been the smartest time to start a business <laughs> yeah. with knowing you have to provide for your family and yet you've got to provide for this business. You know, now you've gone from two babies to three babies because yeah, <laughs> they all need probably just as much nurturing, if not more than the other. Yeah, so, absolutely. It was a struggle too. And, and RT, uh, my partner, uh, knows this well. And he was, uh, he heard it from me all the time because my wife was also kind of like, figuring out what she wanted to do. And she thought, you know what, I'm going to go part-time and I'm going to start seeing uh, some some patients of my own. So we both ended up opening like our own kind of practice at the same time with two young kids thinking, eh, it won't be that bad. And uh, So then we're, this is a dual entrepreneurship family yeah, at this point? Yeah, it's, uh, it has been very interesting. So um, so what's, what's her background? Uh, she is a dietitian and okay. she works mostly with... Um, uh, disordered eating, eating disorders, and right now mostly in the kind of like adolescent uh, category. So yeah, gotcha. And yeah. your history prior to the Stride Shop was always in ath, you know, running and stuff of that nature. What was kind of your your job history? Yeah, I was. Um, I've always been an outpatient orthopedic physical therapy, but in that world, um, almost everybody works in these uh, in these clinics that are just. Um, Kind of churn in patients, and so you'll see a little bit of everything. You'll see everything from the weekend warrior to the seventy-year-old who had their knee replaced to the um, you know the guy who got in a car accident and has neck pain. And um, a lot of us talk about uh, our time in these clinics where we would just see so many people. And um, and while I I don't uh, miss doing that kind of thing. Um, I do think it was valuable to get those reps under your belt. You're just seeing a little bit of everything uh, for your first couple of years out of school. And, um, and that was great. But then I started to see, uh, I started to work more with runners and endurance athletes um, as I myself was starting to run more and, and do a lot more um, uh, endurance events. And so um, it just kind of came naturally uh, that, I, that I started working more with those athletes. And um, when I moved to New Orleans, it, it kind of went away. A lot of what I had established in Chicago was kind of starting over, but um, tried to create a niche, tried to create a niche, and uh, the stride shop was really the perfect way to do it. So take us into those <clears throat> those late-night meetings that you, <laughs> you and your partner had about just envisioning what you wanted the stride shop to be. Yeah. So I think, I think we both um, – so RT is uh, – He's an amazing therapist and, uh, and a super, super sharp guy. Um, but RT, never, I mean, he's hopped from different types of, of clinics and jobs and worked contract positions rather than being full-time because he just really values his independence and in making his decisions in, in his world. Um, but he also has a background in equine massage and massaging horses, and, um, and he's just been all over the world. Uh, but... Um, so our, our meeting was basically, you know, kind of me saying, this is what I would like to do him saying, this is what I see, uh, myself doing. How do we, 
uh, bring that together. Uh, we had some pretty frank conversations about um, reservations we had about working with each other. Uh, <laughs> That's know. always what you want to hear. Well, right? Yeah, I mean, when I think uh, forward. I think I think maybe prior to that, I had talked to a buddy of mine who's an entrepreneur who's uh, who was very clear to make sure that if you're going to enter into a partnership with somebody, you you're going in eyes wide open, right? And so. Uh, I took that to mean uh, I'm going to lay all my cards on the table and say, hey, RT, these are the things that are great that I think could work well, but also have kind of some of these uh, reservations about about a few things. And he did the same. And so I think it started off on a, on a very good note and that we were very open and we, we have been throughout the process. Um, but um, yeah, we just we had no clue what we were getting into, to be honest, you know, um, uh, in a good way because we were like so excited and full of energy and and we still are but now we've just learned so much in the last few years that it's just kind of a, a more focused energy than a we're going to take over the world kind of like um, um, optimism all of a sudden you know and I feel like every entrepreneur when they're having those thoughts whether they're not working for somebody initially and they're just going straight out on their own or they're within a, a nine-to-five job and they're thinking what can I do different? How can I change something? You always start with that over the moon mentality. We're going to conquer the world. We're going <laughs> to make the next best thing. You know, Absolutely. Apple who? Like yeah. we're the next big thing yeah. that's going to come to the market. But by having those frank conversations, and if you, especially if you found it with a co-founder, you can have someone to hopefully balance that out. Yeah. And then those entrepreneurs that both come in, both shooting over the moon, then you get hit with those hard lessons and then you don't have those conversations till a year, two years down the line where you're like, wait a second, none of this <laughs> that actually happened was within our plan. Yeah. Yeah. We had, I mean, you know, we've had conversations throughout the, the years. The, so it's been a little over three years since we officially opened. Um, there have been times where we've still had to have conversations about where we were going and what we wanted to do with this and whether it was going to work. And, um, and, the good thing about it is that we've, we've, we haven't hesitated to have them, you know? Um, and I think we balance each other very well. Like you said, he's the, he's the, uh, practical, calm, um, energy. And I will be the one who kind of, um, will have to be kind of brought back down to earth when, when things kind of go wrong or things go really well, uh, trying to find the middle again. Right. You come in saying, Oh, we can do, Let's open ten shops in one year, and he's like, "Hang on, yeah. let's yeah. just yeah, well, let's explore what mo what doing one more shop looks like." Yeah. You know? but I think you need that that kind of yin and yang balancing act between partners. You need the one person to bring this over enthusiasm, and this other person to bring this realistic, you know, tension where they're like, "Okay, I hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It has great potential, <laughs> <laughs> but but how do we get there? Yeah, you know, and it's." For any successful situation to happen, whether it's business, family, relationship, you have to have that line of communication. Yeah. You have to be willing to have frank conversations, or you have to be willing to say the hard truths. Yeah. You know, if we're not, if you aren't considering yourselves friends and you're not having the hard truth conversations, then what are you doing, right? Yeah. Are you really that close? Yeah, and I think that early on, and I don't know if this is the the common. Uh, theme amongst entrepreneurs or partnerships even is that 
it just seemed like, man, okay, we're going to keep plugging away, keep plugging away. Things will get better. Things will get better. Things will get better. And at a point it was like, things haven't really gotten better. What are we doing? I mean, we opened, you know, five months before COVID shut, shut the world down. So a perfect time to open a new business. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that February, um, we were like, man, we're getting a little momentum, like we word of mouth and momentum was relative at the time, but, um, we were like, man, things are kind of picking up. And then all of a sudden you, we shut down for four or five months. Um, and we were both looking at each other like, all right, what do we do next? What's going to happen? What, you know? Um, and I think we were both a little worried to have that conversation, although we kind of danced around it a little bit. Uh, I think we both knew that that was probably a time that, that we both realized that we couldn't dance around things like that, that we had to, all right, we're going to meet at this time on this day and, and block out three hours because who knows how much we're going to talk about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, having those conversations has been really important for us. And I'm not saying we don't get defensive. I'm not saying that we don't like take a breath and walk away and, and come back. But, uh, but we both recognize that it needs to happen. Well, and you can take those breaths and walk away is far more important than saying, no, we're sitting down here right now. We're getting through this. It's well, maybe we both, everybody needs to calm down a little mm -hmm. bit, get a little bit more level headed then come back into the situation with, you know, a breath of fresh air, glass of water, something to refresh our, our mental state, our mental capacity. And if we still feel that strongly about whatever it is we're disagreeing on, yeah. then we can really address it and get into the whys and hows of that thought process. Yeah. So, I mean, whenever y'all are first opening, it's pre-COVID and there's no, there's no foresight of what's going to happen, right? So you start getting word of mouth. What type of, I guess, what, what were y'all doing to achieve that word of mouth marketing strategy? Yeah, and, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit going forward, but New Orleans is just a different beast than, than Baton Rouge is. Um, uh, there, are, there are several run groups in New Orleans. Um, through our work, RT and I were familiar with a lot of the orthopedic surgeons in New Orleans that routinely see athletes. Um, and so it seemed natural to us that we both wanted to open this business for the main reason being that when we would see runners and endurance athletes in our clinics, you know, the way that schedules work in most clinics is that a therapist sees two, three patients at a time. And we never got into the nuts and bolts of what, what it was that we really needed to do to treat a runner. Cause I can treat your shin splints by making them feel better. Mm -hmm. But who's to say that they aren't going to come back in three or four months if I haven't really dialed into your issue? Is it is it the training? Is it the shoe? Is it uh, a combination of the two? Is it that your diet's been horrible and uh, you all of a sudden bumped your volume? Like some of those questions we just don't get to um, when we're dealing with a lot of people. And if I don't see you for a week or two, um, maybe I miss some things, right? Um, so really this was born out of the idea that we wanted to be able to spend time with people and give really, really good care. Um, but, um, I for, I've already forgotten what I was talking about. What was the question again? Uh, so going into COVID, the oh, word yeah, of yeah. mouth strategy. Right. So as we, as we decided that this is what we wanted to do, um, we just started spreading word. We got, we, we were already part of run groups. We would go out and run with people, um, because of the community of it and the, and the, and it was fun, but, um, we just started spreading word to our friends and, 
you know, even though we primarily treated runners, a lot of the people that we saw would say, hey, my mom's got this thing. She went to PT and it didn't really help. Do you think maybe y'all could do something with her? Or, you know, my son was playing soccer and he hurt his leg. And so it really, it really just developed through people that we saw in relationships we'd already established before. And um, I feel like in New Orleans, there people are fiercely loyal to to local. Brand loyalty is a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> and not that people aren't in Baton Rouge, but it's uh, it, it's just a different animal, I think, in New Orleans. And so um, it's a good thing for a local entrepreneur when you start to have people that believe in you and your brand and your business. Um, and our, you know, and our clinic is a little bit different than a traditional PT clinic in that we're, you know, we're out of network. And so people have to make a choice to say, I'm willing to pay a little bit more because I know that I'm going to be able to sit down with RT or Neeraj and spend an hour with him. And if I, if I just, something isn't right while I'm doing this exercise, I don't have to wave down my therapist or I'm working with, you know, an assistant, uh, he's going to be right there and, and mm-hmm. kind of correct me and, and when I leave today, I'll probably get an email tomorrow asking how I'm feeling and what I need to adjust. And and so we had, we kind of built this believing that uh, people would have um, uh, the desire to, to go that route, to kind of come out of network and get a higher level of care. But uh, like you said, then all of a sudden COVID hits. And uh, um, one, it's really challenging to see people in person because it was a scary time. We didn't know right. what was happening. Nobody knew anything at that point. Um, to uh, depending on who you were and where you were, disposable income wasn't uh, wasn't there for everybody. So, the idea that somebody was going to pay more to get what in their minds is the same service as elsewhere uh, wasn't the easiest thing to convince people. So, um, so we we kind of had to shift uh, shift our focus a little bit. But um, but yeah, well, I think the traditional model of healthcare. And kind of getting around that topic, it reminds me very similar what y'all are doing with what one of our sponsors, Lake Men's Health Center, is doing. So they're doing the kind of the same model with our Lay yeah. of the Lake where it's, we're not just going to turn and burn patients for the sake of insurance purposes, yeah. right? We're going to get there and spend that time to really get down to the fine print of what's going on with your health yeah. from there. And for y'all, it's what's going on with your your muscles? You know, why are you feeling that way? Again, is it your shoes? Do we need to get, you know, Jenny Peters in here yeah. and figure out that you're not wearing the right shoe? You yeah. know, do we need to figure out if your strength training's off? You're going at different angles or really are you running too much on the roads in New Orleans and just going through some potholes that's yeah. causing this? You know, taking that time with the patient from the lens of is the way healthcare set up currently feasible and sustainable in the long term? It's you and like i mean the stride shop and lake men's health center is proof that it's not because people do want that attention they do want that ability to walk in there with their physical therapist or their doctor and spend an hour two hours and the doctor or you are not sitting there looking at your clock like shoot i've got 10 other patients lined up for today i've got to get to mm-hmm. i can't spend this time with you absolutely but yeah. then it's just you're just putting band-aids on the situation where y'all with the stride shop are like no Let's open you up. Let's get down to exactly what's being caused. Yeah, and we yeah, I could definitely get on the soapbox about healthcare <laughs> in general. I mean, it's it's a huge topic, and unfortunately, it's a, you know, it's a struggle for a lot of families to want afford healthcare. But then when you go to try to get healthcare, you're kind of left wondering what you just spent three minutes 
um, getting in a room that you waited an hour to get into and you didn't get to ask your questions and that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that, you know, time with a healthcare provider is huge. We don't get a lot of it. We don't expect a lot of it, which I think is a big part of the problem. Right. Like, is our, are our minds not even set up to think about healthcare in the way we should? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a big part of the problem. A lot of the people that we see at the stride shop are, are people who are, who've been to physical therapy and didn't really do anything for them or they had a bad experience or they just heard that there was a different way to do things. And I think, um, I think if people give it a shot, they'll see the value in it. The other thing is that we're paying more for healthcare and getting less. More people are kind of shifting to these high deductible, low premium plans. And when you think about paying out of your pocket to go to physical therapy somewhere two, three times a week um, versus what you might pay at the stride shop. And we don't, we tend to see people once a week, maybe once every couple of weeks because we believe very strongly that the hour that we spend with you, we're going to cover so much that I don't need to watch you do a group of exercise that I feel confident that I instructed you well with, that I know that if I do, if I make this adjustment to you, it's going to change this and you're going to feel this. Um, and I have time cause I don't have a hundred patients that I'm seeing in, in a week. Um, and some of these clinics see, you know, a lot, um, more than that. Um, that I can follow up with everybody that I saw that week by phone, by email, a lot of the times text. Um, so it, it just, it, it's a higher level of understanding that the, that a client hopefully has um, about their, their care, which I think everybody should. Everybody should care at some point about <laughs> right. what type of treatment they're getting. Yeah, yeah, it is a big deal. And unfortunately, like you said, I, th I don't know that some people's minds aren't, don't even know that it's out there or that we should expect that, you know? Well, and it's also, in these short meetings you have with a physical therapist or even the doctors for that matter, you're spending that time addressing the reason you came in. Mm -hmm. The specific reason you came in for it may just be one component. It's one component of your body. And you don't have the time to dig in to figure out what questions to even ask. Yeah. You know, I know if I'm going into the doctor, I don't know what other types of questions to ask other than what's bothering me right now. Yeah. Whereas if you've got somebody like what's doing at the stride shop where y'all can sit there and work through and talk about everything, then you're bringing in a component of education to the patients and they're able to ask the right questions. And, you know, you, you may say one thing or show them certain stretch or move to do, and it's going to trigger something in their brain to think of something else to ask you. Yeah. Whereas if you're coming in saying, all right, what do you got? All right, you got shin splints. Okay, we're going to do this exercise, and you're going to do that for 15 minutes. I'm going to come back and check on you. Yeah. And they're just sitting there just, okay, I guess yeah. this is what I'm supposed to be doing. They don't even know to ask. Well, you know, also when I, when I sit down kind of weird, my back starts giving me a little bit of pain. You know, yeah. my, my upper thigh hurts every now and again. You know, my, my shoulder. Then they start going into all this other stuff, and you're like, okay, we've got a different situation that we're not even addressing because of the primary reason you came in we're focusing on the wrong animal. Absolutely. You know? I told somebody last week in the clinic, you know, it probably was three or four visits into seeing this person and they were like, oh. and I, you know, she'd come in with hip pain um, and I'd done her exam and we'd worked together a couple of times and she was doing something and I, and I, and I stopped and kind of did an exam on her ankle as she was doing this. And I was like, man, have you sprained your ankle before? This ankle's really, you know, kind of looked and presented like an ankle that had some lax looseness, laxity kind of, 
She was like, yeah, I had a really bad ankle sprain about three years ago. And come to think of it, that's probably like right before the first time my hip started bothering me. And you know, like these things happen all the time in PTs that you go back and you find that, oh yeah, you know, this was a thing and, and you start putting the pieces together and, um, and, and that should just be how it works, you know? Um, but, uh, I think you're, I think you hit the nail on the head. People don't know what questions to ask. You don't even know what, maybe what your doctor wants to know about. Maybe they don't care or maybe they don't, you don't recognize that your ankle sprain might be how your hip pain started, but maybe the doctor would, or, you know, those are things that are, are, um, that are our responsibility to figure out. You shouldn't have to know that. Right. And then like, I would never have connected an ankle sprain to hip pain. I mean, that just, maybe that's ignorance on my part, but like, I don't know that that would have one relation to the other, but as soon as you explain it to me, I'll be like, Oh, okay. You know, that makes, I, that makes sense. I see now how that works. And then it's going to me, give me a different light to look at situations where, Something may happen. I think nothing of it, but later on, if I feel pain or I know something else is popping up, I go, "Wait a second. Now I'm starting to question: Is everything <laughs> is everything connected?" <laughs> well, the cool part, I think you said this too. The education part of it is huge, and that um, one of the coolest things is like, so I coach runners as well, and at some point, once you've worked with somebody for a while, or even if I've seen somebody for an injury and then another injury is they start to recognize things before I do. And so they may call me and say, hey, you know what? I think I've been doing this because I'm feeling this, or I think this is off because I'm feeling that. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you got it. You don't need, you know, I don't, I, you don't need me, right? <laughs> you, you, you don't need to come in. You, you know what's happening. It out, yeah. right? But it's because they've spent the time and we've had the time to have these conversations and educate them about what they're going to what they should expect in the two months, three months, six months after they leave physical therapy. Cause not everybody that leaves is like a hundred percent and they're good to go. If I've given you the tools to get to a hundred percent and you're 80%, but you just have to do it. Um, I feel like that is another part of our model that is for, for a lot of people helpful in that, uh, the onus is now on you, right? You take the responsibility for your health. As opposed to you have to make an appointment, pay your copay, pay your co-insurance for me to watch you do what I've already told you. This is this is just what is going to help you. Um, I think that those things, seeing people take ownership of those those situations is really cool. Well, and that's in part of your your model is that education of you have to take ownership in it. You know, there's <clears throat> some people just work with an account work better with an accountability partner. Absolutely. You know, going to the gym, going to PT going into the the weigh-in once a week if you're doing a weight loss program. It's having that level of accountability for some people is a necessity. They need someone to kind of hold them accountable. And whether it's, you know, going to the stride shop and saying, okay, you were in here three weeks ago for certain pains. Have you been doing exercises? You know, because if not, I can already know why you're back in here. I see that limp from a mile (laughs) away as soon as you walked in here. I know you haven't been doing your exercises because it's still happening. And for those, no, I haven't been doing it, okay, that's – how do we get to that point of being accountable to them as their physical therapist where they feel like someone's checking in? I mean, is that kind of built into y'all's model of an accountability partner? Yeah, so we do We do the most we can to, you know, there's only so much that uh, I can do aside from coming over to your house and watching you. <laughs> making <laughs> and sure and you watching do you do it. Just it. looking through your window and uh, seeing if you're doing your exercises. But 
for one, a lot of the research will tell us that if we give people more than four exercises to do on their own, they're going to do none of them. So we so have four, to, four is the magic it number. It is the magic number. Compliance drops way, uh, way down when we give more than four exercises. And so we've got to be very smart in which exercises we select uh, to ask people to do. Hopefully they're getting a lot of bang for their buck. They're more likely to do them if they're actually helping them feel better, right? So right. Uh, that first visit is crucial that we not only educate, but can we have to show a win for them to buy in. Because if I can't show them a win, it doesn't mean a lot, right? So maybe I have to show them why if they have their feet in this position when doing an exercise versus this, it feels better here versus this, and that's what causes their pain. Um, so one is the amount of exercises we give. Two, um, traditionally in PT, a lot of times you go in, you get your appointment with your with your therapist, and you get this like kind of black and white sheet of paper with a couple of like kind of grainy pictures of the exercise you should do. And um, we've been using this software that uh, we have a library of our own exercises that we've filmed. Uh, written out instructions for and we we email people these videos this is how many you do this is what it should look like and there's also a button on there that if we know there's somebody that needs a little bit more accountability it says track adherence so that when that person does their exercises they have to check them off each day okay and we'll get these notifications saying low adherence to to exercise so there's a way around it somebody could obviously go in and check things off but it's another way to hold somebody accountable not because they don't want to get better but sometimes like you said some people just need that almost you know like a threat like if i don't do this he's gonna see that i haven't oh, yeah. been doing what i'm supposed to do some people respond better to uh you know knowing someone's gonna come down on them for not doing it and for those getting that positive oh yeah you did it great you yeah. know it's just people respond to negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement absolutely and also you know i try each week um depending on the person usually with people that I'm seeing for the first time, I'll email or text or call them within the first 48 to 72 hours to say, hey, uh, great to meet with you. Um, how are you feeling? It's been two days. Um, have you been trying your exercises? Do things feel any different from, from our first treatment? Do you have any questions about things? And I think when somebody's taking an interest in your care and sometimes more interest in your care than maybe you have been, it just kind of makes you realize that this is important and this is important to your caregiver. So it should be important for me as well. Um, so uh, my wife probably hates it, but I'm, you know, there are times I'm getting text messages late in the evening with people asking questions or, or emails and stuff, but it just, it's, it feels good. It's what I like to do. It's what we like to do. RT will tell you the same. It's like, I'd rather get that text at eight 45 while I'm watching a show with my wife that says, man, I had the best run I've had in six months because of uh, what we talked about. Um, then like, you know, not get it right. And wait until next week and hear from that person. I want to know. And so I think that higher level of communication is also kind of cool for people to kind of stay accountable. So within that though, comes an issue that many entrepreneurs face, myself included, is the work-life balance and the separation that um, I know my, my wife specifically, and I'm sure to some degree everyone's spouses or partners would argue is when can you, when can you put the phone down and, and be with me? Yeah. You know, when, when can you separate that, that work from home life? And not everybody's going to have it, but I mean, having that balance is important. 
what do you do? I mean, because it sounds like from your standpoint, like you got a lot of people <laughs> texting you or messaging you all the time of, I did this, it worked great, did this, didn't work great, whatever the text or message may be. What do you do or what have you seen that really works well to kind of balance that work life? Yeah, I mean, I, it really comes down to me setting the, the expectation early on, which I, I, I generally have not done a very good job of. But, um, you know, especially as we progressed in New Orleans, it was easier to have people say, you know, I'm available during business hours, but I've been in Baton Rouge for four months now. And so if, I get them, if I'm going to take a message, I'm going to take a message, I'm going to respond. I feel like that just creates trust. And uh, I feel like for the time being, I'm okay with that. The question is, how do you turn that faucet off a lot of times, right? Or when the faucet becomes a fire hose, how yeah. do you stop it? Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm probably setting myself up for, for some bad things. But I, um, I do try to be very cognizant, especially when I'm around the, when we're around kids, that my wife and I don't have our faces buried in the phone. And there is a time to uh, respond to somebody who just had a great race um, and wants your feedback versus my kids playing soccer right there. Like, you know, there, there are those boundaries with our kids for sure. Um, but it's hard. It really is. And I know that the right answer is you set boundaries and you stick with them. Uh, but I, I haven't figured that out very well. It's, it's like, it's a situation where nobody can, or at least that I've talked to, it's, you have to just keep trying each day and hope to get like 1% better, yeah. you know, or hope to get a, a marginal percent better than you were the day before. It's not an instant Oh yeah, one day I came home and I said, "That's it. Put my phone away. Done. None of that. It's no. I only responded to two messages tonight. Yeah. No, I only responded to, you know, I only read the emails tonight mm -hmm. and and thought about the message I was going to reply to them and it's getting that back to basically pre-technology mindset of work stays at work, but in this 24-7 world of technology we live in, we find ourselves almost like trapped by the devices in which we keep in our pockets, mm -hmm. is that we have to feel this constant pulse almost, whether it's within our business or it's within our friends' lives, within social media, we always have to be acknowledging and be aware as to what's going on. From business owner standpoint, it's tough to get back to that. Nope. I'm out of that office. I'm out of hours. Yeah. And from your position that you're in, it's people are paying for that concierge mm -hmm. next level of service. They want to have access to you. Yeah. And without incorporating a bunch of AI, it's like, uh -huh. what can you really do unless you start hiring a team to reply to your text messages for you? But they're not paying for that. They're paying yeah. for you to say, great job, Susan. Yeah. You really pulled it off today. Super <laughs> proud. You know? Susan, Susan did, did well today. <laughs> Susan, I nailed it. <laughs> um, no, I think you're right. And I think that the goal and what I would foresee is that once this business becomes something that I'm um, more uh, delegating, coaching, and those kinds of things, and I'm saying, man, uh, Jim over here or... Um, uh, Betty over here is an awesome therapist. You're going to have a great experience with them. Um, and the communication is going to be great. You know, that can change some things in, in terms of my responsibility. But like you said, I don't, I don't know. As a, as a business owner, I feel like if I'm not engaged, I feel like I'm doing something 
I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing something that I should be doing. <laughs> like, hang on. The whole thing is going to crumble yeah, right? if I'm not constantly <laughs> if I'm not checking worried everything. About it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is uh, another issue. But uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I hope that I found some more balance with that. But um, this is definitely still a work in progress. So you're wor- it, from that, it sounded like you're working on growing your team. Yeah. How has that been from initially when you're having those conversations with your partner? It's, we want to do something different. We want to go in and be the greatest physical therapist we can, provide the best level of service, and put insurance to the side. And now it's, okay, we've done that. Yeah. <laughs> now how can we be in more places at once yeah. than what's reality? So how has that kind of frame of mind shifted over the years to now we need to develop the best possible versions of physical therapists that carry out the stride shop mission to be a part of the team? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that that is something that we're, uh, in process with because currently we, we don't have employees. It's myself and RT and we take the phone calls and we answer the emails. We make the so content. Wait, and we, just the two of you for the two locations the two of us. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, um, Aside from seeing patients, there's a lot of always uh, um, making sure that we're moving forward. We have a we have um, Lindsay, who's great, who helps us with our social media and does a lot more than social media um, on our team, but not as technically an employee. She's contracted with lots of people. Um, so, yeah, we we started this thinking, man. I just love treating people. I love being involved in this thing. And my thought was, man, if if I can create a practice that supports me and my family uh, for the next 20 years and I'm seeing patients, I would love it. I think that would be great. And then two years into this thing, you realize how much goes into a business that you have. I had no earthly idea about. And we start looking at each other like, man, this is not sustainable. <laughs> what you have know? we gotten ourselves yeah. into? Um, but we also have to grow the business enough to bring somebody on to hire an assistant, to have a front desk person to do all these things. And I think anybody that's in a business probably wonders, and I, I think, I don't know if we're doing this right or wrong, but like, when can you afford to bring somebody on versus when can, when can you afford not to, right? Um, I think that's the bigger question. Right, yeah, and uh, we're very much in the middle of that right now. RT, so we're, we're also kind of in this transition where RT um, is in the Army Reserves, and he uh, has found out that he's going to be deployed for for several months next year. Um, so we're kind of figuring out what's going to happen with New Orleans and, and our practice, and hopefully we'll be able to bring on some really stellar therapists to cover um, cover our great patients in New Orleans. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot on our plate right now that we're still kind of juggling. Yeah, and then that's when, when you're in that solo solopreneur or partnerpreneur phase, it's tough to see that ability to expand right Mm -hmm. you know how do we get more of us in the door but then also how do we make sure we have enough to pay them as they come (laughs) in the doors i mean that's an ever-continuing juggling act you have to face but it's like that back office is so important to build up and achieve so you can have more time face patient face uh, patient facing within your practice you know it's we're bringing in X number a month. Okay, if I bring in somebody else and they make ha- and they're able to produce half of that, well, now I can go out and produce even more. You know, yeah. or even how many hours a day am I spending working back office that I'm not seeing patients? I'm not profit producing. Okay, 
now that becomes worth it. If I can fill, if I'm doing four out of my eight hours in back office, charting, billing, invoicing, what have you, and I can bring somebody in for X number of dollars, I now have four hours I can be more productive and bring them more revenue. Well, now that justifies it, you know. These are light bulbs that should have gone off a long time ago for me that just, you know, it was actually, it was right before we left New Orleans and and I knew I was going to open in Baton Rouge. Um, that it really hit home. We were, RT and I were sitting in our clinic and we had a shared space with some personal trainers there. And this personal trainer was seeing this girl who uh, does work in New Orleans and she was just like, I'm exhausted, I'm run ragged. She runs her own uh, business. She does like uh, entertainment and costumes and these things. And um, the personal trainer was like, You're, you have too much business for you to handle. You need to hire somebody. And she said, yeah, but I just don't trust anybody to do what I do. And for me, it was like, that's me. That sounds like a me problem because that's that would be my excuse a lot of times, right? And the reality is that if I bring somebody on that I trust and, and show them the ropes, they'll probably bring more to the table than I think I bring, you know, and, and I have to let I have to let go of that, which RT is probably more on board with that than I am because he's just, he has that vision. But um, I think that's part of the issue is this. um, It's definitely a personal kind of like, I want to see all the patients. I want to do this Um, and not trusting somebody to, to do the quality of work. It's your baby, right? It's like what you want to be a part of. It's your baby. But that first day you dropped them off at daycare, the Mm -hmm. first day you had a sitter come over to the house, it's probably the roughest day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you got home or you picked them up and they weren't dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you then know? you started looking forward to dropping them off earlier right. and earlier. And yeah. so it's like when you when you have when you think about the business in the lens of it's my baby, like nobody else can raise it the way I can. Uh, okay. But whenever you have somebody come in to kind of watch your baby and kind of help your baby get out along through the day so you can yeah. see about other things, you're Every time you've come home, you know, God willing, your baby's been alive, yeah, right? So yeah. it's like within the business realm, it's for as an entrepreneur, it's so hard to look at it and say, okay, it may not be exactly perfectly done how I would have done it, yeah. but did it get done? Did they meet our quality controls? Did they fulfill what the patient was after? And first and foremost, did they uphold the, you know, did they uphold the brand? Right. Did they treat the patients with the same care and respect that we expect everyone to be treated when they come and walk into our store. And if they did, okay, well, that's one less patient I didn't have to see, which is like you feel, I get from what you're saying, it's like you get that sense of being taken away, but now you're able to start treating people the stride shop way a lot more Mm -hmm. without you necessarily having to lay hands on them. And it's, it is a tough, pill to swallow for entrepreneurs to kind of add that person on. You know, I face it within the show. It's like, oh, well, no, nobody can do it better than I can do it, right? <laughs> you know, nobody can create this post or do this or that better. But when you start having somebody come in and you're like, okay, hey, work on this, change this. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you try doing it this way? And you start having to teach them and train them. And when you get them in that position where you're like, whoa, now they're doing everything the way I would do something. Now you start having that other phase of, Hang on, is this is this real? Right. And it's but pulling the trigger and getting that first person in the door to be a team member is like the hardest. Yeah, I, I 
I don't remember if I told RT this recently, but I have the I do have this idea. Like I, I want to see the, this time where somebody comes into the clinic and they're like, "No, I don't want to see you, Niraj. I want to see <laughs> you know whomever we hired." And like yeah. that would make that would make me so happy. You know, if somebody we were able to we were able to bring on and develop and nurture and, and grow the brand that way. That's where I'm at now. Like I, that's what I want, and I want a lot of those. Um, uh, but it's definitely been a shift. Um, from what I thought was going to happen, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, those for most entrepreneurs getting their getting their stories and they're doing their their business plan, their business model canvas, or they're just using a piece of paper and writing ideas down. Yeah. They're not planning. Okay, how are we going to make that first hire? Some businesses you have to because you need a whole team to do everything. But for those in y'all situations where the physical therapist clinic, you don't necessarily need a whole bunch of people. Yeah. You can get it done with just the two of you. You all have gotten it done successfully over the years for just the two of you. And that thought of hiring that first person or hiring that next personnel is, it almost, it doesn't come up until it's basically like, not necessarily <laughs> too late, yeah. but it's to the point where you're like, yeah, these 12, 14, 16 hour days are just, there's no end in sight, you yeah. know? Yeah. And RT has, you know, they he and his wife welcomed their first kid last year and I've got two little ones and um you know that work-life balance that you talked about is really challenging too when you don't um swallow your pride a little bit and recognize that uh that other people can do a pretty damn good job too <laughs> and that you have to trust some people so um you know it becomes this uh self-perpetuating kind of like cycle where if you don't if you don't break that cycle where you think you're the only one that can do it, it's gonna, it's not gonna end very well. So yeah, or or it's going to come to an end. Yeah, yeah. So no. so if you're interested in becoming a physical therapist, a stride shop, possibly hiring. <laughs> come, come talk to me. Yeah. If you want a if you want a, a horrible boss with low pay right now, come talk to me. <laughs> you're really selling it here. Really selling it. Oh, uh, just kidding. Come talk to me. So, but within this whole lens of doing everything yourself, y'all decided let's open a second store. <laughs> we did. And I think, you know, part of what you've talked about a little bit is, is about Baton Rouge and uh, the cool things that are going on in Baton Rouge and uh, whether, whether part of it was just family and wanting to be closer to my family. And part of it was just that I think the pandemic was hard on everybody and everybody was looking for some change or the grass is always greener elsewhere or, um, it, it just felt like the time for us to move to Baton Rouge. Um, my parents are here, my brother's here, and um, my wife's from Cincinnati, so it's nowhere close to her family. But uh, <laughs> but it felt right. It was her idea. She she was the one who brought it up, and I never in a million years thought that that would come about. And uh, as we started thinking about what our family situation uh, could hopefully be like, it became a little bit clearer that man. Um. Even though we're not, you know, we're not busting down doors and breaking records with our with our practice, we still believe strongly in what we have, and we believe strongly that if we continue to grind, that it's going to work no matter where we open. And so it was like, you know, we can take this to Baton Rouge, although it's been a struggle for both of us to kind of open practices at the same time. This is kind of why we did it, right? Is so that if something were to happen, or if we needed some flexibility. Um, this is an option 
And uh, although it is it is very much starting over, like I said, the Baton Rouge market is just a, a different animal than, than New Orleans. Um, I'm trying to, to, to really enjoy the process of it rather than seeing a, a, some type of finish line or anything. Because it is. It's kind of like some days I'm like, man, did I really uh, want to start over in this practice in a new place? Um, but then you get that one little win or that one contact that's like, man, this, this is a cool idea. I'd love to talk to you more about it. And all of a sudden you're invigorated for the next two weeks, three weeks, because you're like, oh, yeah, I could do this, that, and this. So, um, yeah, again, maybe not the most informed or smart decision at the time, but but uh, but overall I think it's been great to kind of uh, bring the stride shop back home. Yeah, and, you know, make a new home for the stride shop in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. So – what has been something that you've seen, you know, you talk about the Baton Rouge market being a whole different animal than New Orleans. Are there any like specific outliers or specific instances where you've been like, hmm, in New Orleans, this would have worked. <laughs> in Baton Rouge, <laughs> this has not worked. Or vice versa, where you've been like, I never would have thought that would have worked here because yeah. it never doesn't work in, ba- in New Orleans. You know, in New Orleans, um, like I said, there were a lot of run groups. Um, and you know there were different crowds and um and and he- speaking specifically of healthcare there's no like um major outpatient orthopedic like uh giant in New Orleans uh Oshner, you know being a healthcare system but in terms of private private uh, outpatient orthopedic clinics there just isn't really that in New Orleans there's some mom and pop shops that have a couple of clinics and some that have a few more but you come to Baton Rouge and you've got these just behemoths of, of outpatient practices who've been in Baton Rouge forever and are well established and do good work. And, um, and so trying to get our foot in the door is not about seeing them as competitors because I think that we just do something completely different than what's offered here. It's about, I think, convincing people that what we do is worth their time and their money. And so taking that approach here has been a little bit more challenging than it was in New Orleans. And also almost everything running related here goes through our good friend uh, Jenny Peters, right? And, and, and if you're a runner and you don't know who Jenny Peters is, you're yeah. on a, under a rock in Baton Rouge. Yeah. She's done amazing things in our community, as, as, you, as almost everybody well knows. And, um, but in the same sense, those people who have been with Varsity Sports – uh, we had a great relationship with varsity sports in New Orleans as well, but in, I feel like in Baton Rouge, they're very loyal to the people that they've been around for years and years and years and years, right? And th- as they should be, because we aren't the only people that do good work. There are a lot of people who do really good work. But all of a sudden, there's somebody new coming in saying, I do really good work with runners for this group of people that's been doing it for 20 some years. And you're like, they're like, yeah. And, we'll, you know. We'll, <laughs> So what? Okay, good um, on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good luck. Um, so it's also been a challenge. But I think in Baton Rouge also, I'm, I'm trying to cast a little bit of a wider net. Um, in that New Orleans, we were very, very run-centric and run-focused. And we would see family members of people or neighbors who word of mouth, like I got neck pain or I just generally have a shoulder problem. It was probably a quarter of our caseload, whereas three-quarters of it was runners or endurance athletes. But... I don't know, something about moving here made me just feel like 
the care that we provide is valuable to a lot of people. And although I, I love seeing runners, I love seeing the 50-year-old uh, dude who strained his knee playing soccer because he's trying to stay active or you know, the 70-year-old who's trying to keep lifting weights but his, his shoulder hurts him. If I, can, if I can help with something like that, that's pretty, pretty fulfilling as well. And so um, trying to cast a little bit of a wider net in Baton Rouge means reaching out to different referral sources than we did in New Orleans. So uh, certainly a different approach in Baton Rouge, and I think maybe Baton Rouge is a little bit more, um, whereas New Orleans may be loyal to New Orleans, Baton Rouge, I think, has this network of individuals who are very loyal to that to their networks. Um, and so trying to um, kind of uh, meet more people, convince people that this is worth it has been a challenge. Yeah, breaking into the Baton Rouge market is no no easy task, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I hope it's going well. I think it's going well. But like you said, every day is like this thing where if we can make one more contact or plan one more in-person event or um, get one more person to write a Google review and tell their uh, sister about it, um, you know, trying to celebrate all those little wins, uh, the hope is that eventually they add up to, to something bigger, you know, um, to kind of what we hope to make. Uh, this drive shop into yeah I and mean, look the power of one is nothing to disregard yeah the power of one more anything and everything it's that's where businesses are going to see their growth is recognizing the value and that power of one and just doing what they can to again inch their way forward in every element of their business is just huge I, I you know again I'm still relatively new to this whole entrepreneurship thing but I can see how people just kind of get um, disenchanted with the process or um, just discouraged when things don't fall your way. It's like you got to crawl up out of a hole sometimes and you had a bad month and you weren't expecting a bad month or you, you know, you thought there was going to be this big deal or partnership that came through and it, perhaps it didn't. And you, and all of a sudden you got to regroup and find where to go next. That can be, that can be really challenging. And so, um, uh, I think, like you said, the power of one, focusing on that one one little win each time is uh, is important. Absolutely. So as we kind of start to wind down the show, we have a set list of questions we like to ask every guest. And for the first one, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? Yeah. Um, I think... I think simply just um, not caring, you know? <laughs> yes. We were talking about this last night. It, uh, some of our my kids' friends were over at our house, and um, interestingly enough, the parents, uh, her, his, my son's friend's mom had met my, uh, my wife at a school event and basically said, so like the, kid, the other Got kid's it. mom, basically said to my wife, hey, you want to be friends? Because uh, it's hard to make friends as uh, as parents sometimes. In Absolutely. Place. They're not from here. And we were like, man, kids probably do it that way. Hey, you want to be my friend? Let's go play on the playground. And I think those like um, not caring about what people think or what you have to do tomorrow because you've got uh, you're going to go play soccer or baseball with your friends. Like not having those things uh, always, always uh, in the back of your head is, is something that I think uh, – that I miss about being a kid. 
but my my kid last night we went trick or treating for the first time, and we did the whole little the whole little uh, wagon thing. We walked up to the people's houses, and he just stuck his hand in there and grabbed whatever candy he could. <laughs> and then we get back to the wagon and we put him down. We like put his candy in a bag. And then I turn around and I look at him, and he's got a Snickers bar still on the wrapper <laughs> in his mouth. Yes. And he's just chewing on the wrapper, the Snickers bar. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? He doesn't care. Like, he has no care in the world. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, just I'm keeping an eye on you. Like, I'm not going to stop this from happening yeah. because you're trying to figure out what this wrapper is. Yeah. But I'm going to very closely monitor you. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you start seeing something shred off, yeah, you're done. But yeah. like, you enjoy chewing on this, gnawing on this plastic. No care in the world. <laughs> we got home and we, we started like going up through the candy and opened it, I opened it up and I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah. It's like a half chewed Snickers bar. That <laughs> he's just been gnawing on it, not a care in the world. It's always the best thing ever. He'd probably do it again if you gave him another oh, one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So you've done everything from working for somebody in the north. Met your wife there. We won't hold that against her now that she's in the south. Um, and you've then gone and opened up your own business. Now you open up a second location. So you've probably gathered a few lessons along the way. What are three lessons you've kind of captured and kind of held true to yourself over the course of your career? Yeah, I think that the one that I, I tried to be most cognizant of recently, and, and it's taken some time to come to this, is that um, things are rarely as good or as bad as they seem. I think a lot of times, eh, so, you know, generally speaking, but, you know, we'll, I'll speak for myself. I'll get over the moon about some, some event that we're going to be doing or this new service that we're going to offer or, or whatever. And, uh, for some reason it doesn't come together or whatever. And then it feels like the end of the world. Right. And like everything's falling apart. And so, um, and that could happen within an hour when it comes to business, right? Like, hey, you can go from this real high to this real low. And so trying to be just very uh, mindful that when it seems like the end of the world, it's rarely the end of the world, right? <laughs> um, so trying to be a little bit in the middle um, has been really important recently. Um, I think, secondly, that entrepreneurship, and this is, I don't think it's anything new, but people say it, but you don't realize it till you're in it, is that, uh, as difficult and challenging and um, draining as it is, it's equally as like invigorating and um, important and exciting uh, to chase uh, what uh, you or I or whomever thinks is is going to fulfill them is 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 their dream, their passion, right? And um, there are days that I, I didn't necessarily believe that still, and my wife will be like, "What are you?" What are you talking about? This is what you want to do, right? And so reminding myself that I think helps our practice a lot. And RT um, uh, does a good job of kind of balancing me with that. And um, and third, I, I think that, um, I don't know, I, I think that this is probably bigger than me, but healthcare um, is going to change at some point. People aren't going to keep paying these enormous premiums and the quality of their care is getting worse. And, and for healthcare providers, it's not necessarily their fault, but they're being asked to see volume and volume and volume and produce and produce and produce. And healthcare is going to have to change at some, at some point. And so hopefully we're on the right side of, of 
of how things are going. And I know that healthcare is a much bigger beast than anything that the stride shop is, is doing, but hopefully we're, um, the power of one where if we can change one person today and, and one person next week and give them control of their situation, they can walk again with their wife at night. They can, um, finish a half marathon that they've never been able to do. You know, those kinds of things I think are, are where we want to see ourselves. So, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, the lesson is that we're, we're trying to do something right. Absolutely. So what is something you love about Baton Rouge? Man, I think about this sometimes because uh, I think we were talking before the show, everybody like you went to school with was like, man, I can't wait to get away from Baton Rouge after I graduate because there's so much more opportunity somewhere or something like that. Or, you know, when I was in school, a lot of people you know, end up in Dallas or they end up in Atlanta. It seems like Louisiana's best and brightest are like a feeder system for a lot of uh, opportunities. Um, but the thing that I love about Baton Rouge is that the people who have stayed here or the people that have found themselves back here, like, like I have, um, it doesn't take long to remember why, uh, you loved it when you were here. Um, I think that Baton Rouge has, um, a way of kind of, uh, uh, grabbing hold of you, uh, with, with the small things, you know, the LSU football games, the, uh, you know, the, I don't know. I, I grew up playing soccer at Independence Park. And so like this year, the first time I'm taking my kids back to Independence Park and it feels like kind of nostalgic and, um, and family is always such a big thing around Baton Rouge, which I know is not unique to Baton Rouge, but it just feels like home to me. Um, yeah, Baton Rouge just feels like home. It's a, it's a feeling that you can't really describe, you know? Yeah. It's got a homey vibe. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> So for the last question, man, what can I do to help you? Yeah, I think that, you know, we, we can look at all the marketing strategies and all the, you know, social media and all this stuff. But for us as the stride shop, I think that what we want to be, what we want to be in the community is, is somebody that you could actually call up and say, Hey man, I've, I've been having this and I really, you know, I need some advice or I want to, I want to schedule an appointment or whatever and feel like you're in good hands. And so if you tell somebody about us or you trust us with your care or you trust us with a family member's care, um, that's more than enough for us. I mean, um, if you walk through our doors, you, you become part of, part of the stride shop and, um, there's never a time where you can't just call us up and say, I need this. So, uh, what do I need from you is just, uh, to give us a shot or tell people to give us a shot. Absolutely, man. We'll work on the, the podcast idea, keeping the stride, you know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It'll come one day. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate your time. Appreciate your, what you're doing here. You know, it's a great business model from a healthcare standpoint. And I'm excited to see more and more locations and more and more companies start adhering and start kind of adopting that model where you just, you get the money out of the way and you actually get down to the care. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thank you everybody else for watching or listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And I know the guests do as well. If you're an avid listener of the show, we just like every guest that comes on the show, feed off the backs of reviews and ratings wherever you listen to us. So if you're listening to us on Apple, um, Spotify, Amazon Music, whatever it is, please be sure to leave a rating on the show. We would be more than grateful that you did so. And also, if you haven't checked us out on social media or YouTube, 
Be sure and do that as well. We're on every single channel. It's all at the Patty G Show. Thank you all so very much, and a thank you to the wonderful sponsors that make this show possible each and every week right here in Baton Rouge. You're going to hear a little bit more about them right now. Sell your home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $399 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya. Falaya, real estate reimagined. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month. So if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making the Patty G Show possible. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away, it's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left. But the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove concierge service Every step of the way, they're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life, shopping for a car. They're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days but I promise you signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out, our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center, and tell them Patty G sent you. McClavey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, 
There is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way, and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you. Yeah.